Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. Hebrews chapter 8. With technology, oftentimes, um, you will get a notice on your phone or your iPad or your computer that you need to do an update. And usually those updates are somewhat minor, but they fix some flaws or different things and try to make the the technology a little bit better, but every once in a while you will get a notice that there is a new uh, version. You got to pay for this one, but it's going to be better, it's going to be great, and it's, you know, you need, you really should do this. It's a new version. It's going to look almost identical, but it's, it's new, it's built from the ground up. And we've all seen those kind of things, and sometimes you're like, I don't want to pay for it, I'm good with this one, and, you know, it's all. The machine doesn't work anymore because you haven't upgraded enough. But when we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, when we understand those two things, when Jesus came and he gave us the New Covenant, you saw that in Sunday school, when he cut the covenant on the cross and he said, this is the New Testament or the New Covenant in my blood, it wasn't a minor update to Judaism. In fact, he was saying... Judaism as a religion is done. We're starting something brand new. Now, it's going to look similar because the way that the Old Testament saint was saved through Judaism was through faith in the Messiah that would come. And the way you're saved in the New Testament or the New Covenant is the same way, but it's not the Messiah that's going to come, it's the Messiah that did come. So anybody that today is still looking for the Messiah, they can't be saved because he came. And if we're trusting in an old version that was all pointing to the cross, and we're saying, well, I don't believe that, I'm looking for a different one, well, we can't be saved. Just like those in the Old Testament that were, that were saying, I believe a Messiah is coming, but I think that in order for me to be saved, I have to go through sacrifices. Because the, this, the sacrifice of this animal is what is going to save me until the Messiah comes. They've missed the boat. Because it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that saved them. That was just obedience to the fact that I, by faith, have hope that the Messiah is coming and I'm saved by faith in the coming Messiah. And so we too, sometimes as people in the church, we think, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day, but I also think I need to be a good person. Because if I'm not a good person, I may not make it to heaven. And we're denying Jesus Christ. Or if we say, I think I need to partake of the Lord's Supper. I think I need to be baptized. Or I think I need to join a church. We are denying what Jesus Christ did to save us on the cross. Now, should every child of God be baptized and go to church and be a good person, of course. Just like everybody in the Old Testament should have sacrificed. They should have gone to the synagogue. They should have gone to the temple or the tabernacle. They should have done that as obedience, not out of salvation. And so Hebrews chapter 8, notice he says this in verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken unto you, this is the sum. I like that because I, I was always good at school of, like, just sum it up for me. Like, don't, I, don't, I don't really need to read the book. I don't really need to study for the test. Just, can you just give me the cliff notes? Hebrews 8 is kind of like the cliff note version of chapters 1 through 7. 
So if you like Cliff Notes, maybe you like Hebrews chapter 8, like me. But he says, let me sum it all up for you. Specifically chapter 7, but the whole book. Let me sum it up for you. He says this. We have. Notice he didn't say we had. We have. Such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Whereof it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. Seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God. When he was about to make the tabernacle. For, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much more he is a mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this text. We thank you for the cross, for Jesus, for what he's done for us in the past, what he's going to do for us in the future, but Lord, what he is doing for us every day of our lives. And Lord, may you teach us some more great truths about this wonderful new covenant that you cut for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So the writer here says, we had a need for a better covenant because the old covenant, the one under Moses, says it was good. God gave it to us. It was a good thing. Remember, Moses, again, as I mentioned in Sunday school, it was supposed to be a, a, a two-year journey. Could have been 11 days, but then they wouldn't have learned what they needed to learn to get the promised land, and they wouldn't have had all the rules and regulations of how God wanted them to live. So, so he, he took them to Mount Sinai and spent some time there. And overall, but by the time they left Egypt to the time they got to Kadesh Barnea, it was about a two-year journey. God was teaching them things so that when they got to Kadesh Barnea and he said, okay, go take the land, and then they said, no, thank you, they blew it there. They blew it for, for the next 38 years, and in reality, they blew it for the next couple thousand years. And so do we constantly. But what he was doing there when he said, we need a better covenant, because the one in the Old Testament, the one that Moses gave us, it was good in the fact that it showed us we're hopeless. It showed us that we need greater help than rules, greater help than regulations, because you just go back to, to the Ten Commandments. Now, technically, there were about 613 commands in the law, along with countless other principles. But 613 commands, boil them down just the Ten Commandments. Some dealt with our relationship to other people and some our relationship to God. And of just the Ten, what does it show us? I'm a sinner. I can't keep Ten simple laws. And they weren't given to us 
to show us that if you keep these Ten Commandments, you'll get to heaven. Because God knew that not a single person alive could ever keep Ten Commandments, let alone 613. Let alone all of the daily things that they were supposed to be doing. So what did the law do? It showed us that we're sinners. It revealed to us that we need a Savior. And so God gave those principles and those rules and the regulations to show them, listen, by faith, a Messiah is going to come and deal with your sin. By faith, believe that he will come. By faith, give your life to him. And these rules and regulations, these are ways that you can show him that you want to be obedient to him. Which is the sacrificial system, the feast, the, 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 the giving commandments, all that went along with it. Not, not just that, but how we treat people. How we treat one another. There's a lot that goes on with the old covenant. But he reminds us here in this text that the Hebrew people failed to keep it. Why? Well, they, they just couldn't. They were sinful human beings and they just couldn't do it. So it says this, we have a high priest. We talked about that last week in chapter 7. Melchizedek and what he did and how Jesus was going to follow after him and not after Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. We have an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That ring a bell? Hold your place here. Go back to chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times or in different times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, notice this, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now go to chapter 8, verse 1 again. We have a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. There's twice we're told that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he rose again the third day, he went to heaven to be with his father, and he sat down on the throne with his father, demonstrating that he is God, when he sat down, showing us that his work is finished as far as salvation is done. He doesn't have to do anything else to save mankind. He did it all on the cross. Then the Old Testament priests, what were they doing? When they got down their work, did they go sit down? No, there weren't any chairs in the temple or the tabernacle. Why? Because their work was never done. We, we had to continually sacrifice, continually sacrifice, continually sacrifice, day after day after day, because we kept sinning. Now that couldn't take away their sin, but it was an, an admonition to them to look, when you sin, you need to bring the sacrifice and tell God you're sorry for it and know that this sacrifice is not enough, but I know that one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to pay for it once and for all. So when Jesus did, he said, that's the end of the sacrificial system. You never need to sacrifice another thing. I did it once for all. And he sat down. My work is finished with sacrificing. And he says this. He is a minister, the one who serves or cares for other people, a minister of the sanctuary 
and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. So again, he's a better priest, better than the Old Testament priest. He's better than Melchizedek as well. Melchizedek was just still a human being, but he was a king priest, similar to Melchizedek. But as we understand what he did here, every high priest did something. They had to sacrifice. Like if somebody said in the Old Testament to somebody, what are you doing? He said, I'm a priest. He said, oh, so you sacrifice a lot? He said, no, I don't do that. He said, well, I don't think you're a priest then. Because priests sacrificed. That was their job description. That's what they would do. They would minister to people. And so when you ask Jesus, do you sacrifice? He would say, I did sacrifice. I don't continue to sacrifice because it was a once and for all sacrifice. So my work as far as salvation is finished. But remember what we saw last week? What is he doing for us? Because the priest did more than sacrifice. They would minister to the people. They would help the people. They would encourage the people. They would, they would lift the people up. And that's what Jesus is still doing. So he sat because the work was finished. But do you remember when, when Stephen died? Stephen living for God, one of the first deacons, and as he died for his faith because he trusted in the Messiah and, and, the, and the Pharisees, the religious people, they stoned him. Remember he lifted up his eyes and what did he see? He said, I see Jesus sitting. No, he's standing. Jesus stood to welcome Stephen home. What a great truth. And, and when God sees you and me struggling, Going through hard times, he stands and he prays for you and he ministers to you and he encourages you and he uplifts you and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And so this priest, our priest, much better than the Old Testament priest, who didn't know everybody, who didn't know what everybody was going through. Somebody could come through and say, hey, you, you don't look good, is something wrong? And they might say, oh, I'm okay. Just a bad day. And they just go on with their life. You know what? Jesus Christ knows every tear you cry. He knows every heartache you have. He knows every difficult thing you're going through. He knows every decision you need to make this week that you're struggling with. I don't know if I should do this or do this. He knows that. And he's there for us. And our priest, our high priest, he ministers to us in a, in a unique, special way. What a great truth. He says this, every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, verse 3, wherever it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to offer, and he did. But then in verse number 4 it says this, for if he were on earth, if Jesus were on earth today, he, he couldn't be a priest. See that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve in the shadow, or as an example, under the example and shadow of things as Moses was admonished. So he says, if Jesus were just a priest on the earth, he wouldn't qualify. Because he was from the wrong tribe. Well, he wasn't from the wrong tribe. He was from the wrong tribe as far as the Mosaic Law was concerned. He would have had to have been from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So he couldn't have been a priest. You realize when Jesus was living on the earth for three years, he was allowed to go into the temple 
but only where all the Jews could go. Jesus was never allowed, even though he was the God of creation, he was never allowed to go behind the curtain because he wasn't a Levitical priest. He created it. It was all about him. His father was behind the other curtain, the Holy of Holies. But he wasn't allowed in there because he was from the wrong tribe. But he reminds us here that Jesus is a priest, not according to the Mosaic law, but a different law. They served as a shadow of the heavenly example that Moses saw. So back when God gave Moses the law and he gave him the pattern up on the Mount, Mount Sinai, when the people were below making a calf, a golden calf to worship, and Moses is up there getting the law and the Ten Commandments, and he was getting the pattern for building the tabernacle and all that would go along with that. When Moses was up there, God said, I want you to pattern it after this. And God showed him a diagram of what was in heaven. So you see, what's in heaven is not a copy of the earth. It's vice versa. Just like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a copy of Jesus, not vice versa. And so he reminds us there, he hath obtained, verse 6, he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Then again, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why do we have two different sets of books here? You have 27 in, in, in the New Testament. It's under the New Testament. But if you just change that word to covenant, it makes more sense. You see, we had the new covenant. And he wrote those new covenant books to a group of people we call the church. Distinct from Israel, we had 39 books in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant that showed us how to interact with God based upon the Old Covenant. But Jeremiah prophesied that one day God's going to send, set up this new covenant. It's going to be better that what we have with the Mosaic Covenant is going to be different, it's going to be distinct. It's going to have better promises, which is what the covenant is all about. God makes a covenant with us, a promise to us. That's why we talk about the marriage covenant. It's a promise to two people that I'm going to love you and live with you. And we, we it's, it's a covenant in the pastor before us, when he gives us the vows, we're saying, we're making this covenant between the group that is here as witnesses and God who's also witnessing, and we're promising one another, right? That's what the covenant is all about. And so when God gave a covenant to the Mosaic people, the Jews in the Old Testament, he said, listen, I promise you, if you obey this, then I will guide you and lead you and take care of you. They broke it. He didn't say, I'm going to give you this, and if you follow this, you get saved. No, no, no. You have to go back to the Abrahamic covenant. Remember what God promised him? God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. I promise you this. Abraham, what do you have to do? Nothing. Just by faith, believe it. It was an unconditional promise that God gave to his people that salvation is by faith. Give it. Basically in the Garden of Eden, too. There's another covenant there with Abraham. 
with Adam, the Adamic covenant, they promise you. You look forward to the Messiah. You have faith in the Messiah to come. He will take away your sin. And so before the Mosaic law, even before the Abrahamic covenant, back in the Garden of Eden, he had this promise. You're a sinner. You're hopeless. But if you in faith trust that the Messiah is coming and will finally pay for your sins, you can be saved. Well, do I have to do anything? Not to be saved. But if you're one of my children, this is how you should live. And God gave rules and principles to Abraham. He gave rules and principles to um, Adam in the garden. And he gave rules and principles to Moses. And sadly, people don't like rules. What pain? We don't like rules. We don't like people to tell us what to do. Even God. And so God said, I'm going I'm to make a new covenant with my people. It's going to be different, it's going to be better. Go to Jeremiah, we read it earlier, but go back there. Hold your place here, we'll come back. Jeremiah chapter 31. Here the great prophet Jeremiah was given a glimpse into the future, and God said, I want, to, I want you to tell my people this is what I'm going to do for them. Behold, the days come. Jeremiah 31, verse number 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant they made with their fathers and the day that I took them out of the land by the hand out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was, I was still a husband to them. I was faithful. They weren't. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and they will be and I will be their and will be their God and they shall be my people God says there's, there's coming a day when I'm going to give them a new covenant that's going to be different than rules written on tables of stone or on paper papyrus whatever it may be I'm going to put my laws in their hearts this new covenant. So in Sunday school, he was going to cut it at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, rose again the third day, he said, that's it. Judaism, as far as a religion, is done. Not as far as a people group. There's still Jews today, born Jews, and they're physically Jews. But as far as a religion, I am done with it. It's over. Period. Full stop. Done. And God was going to introduce to us what's called the church. It looks similar to synagogue, right? But I want you to gather, not on Saturday, now let's gather on Sunday. It's the day he rose from the dead. And I want you to sing songs, and I want you to worship with one another, praise me. Uh, I want you to spend time in the Word of God, and, and we saw the beginning of the church. Salvation is the same. From Genesis to Revelation, it's always the same. Faith in the coming Messiah. But now we have a different relationship with God than the Old Testament saint did. Because what did he do? Jesus told us he was going to put his law on our heart. He reminded us that the Holy Spirit was going to come and live inside of me. You ever just get this feeling? I was going to do this, but I'm like, I don't know why, but I just feel like I shouldn't do that. And you, there's no verse of scripture. It's just like, I just don't think I should do that. I feel convicted. Not going to do that. 
What is that? That's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Saint Christian, no! I live inside of you now. In the Old Testament, they didn't have that privilege. What a great privilege. Now he talks about some of the other things that are going to come. That they're not going to teach any man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because everybody's going to know him. He's pointing to the, to the, to the millennial kingdom. We don't have all the final details of the new covenant. Go, go to Hebrews again, because look at this. Here's a, here's a little problem. Verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, it wasn't, it was flawed, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, not with the covenant, there was no problem with the covenant, right? The problem was with the people. He saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, which I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of of Judah. All right, we got a problem here. Did you notice the problem? How many here are physical Jews? All right, we got a problem. Because the new covenant, God said, look at this. I'm going to make this new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It was a promise that Jeremiah made from God to the Jewish people. We're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. So do we get to partake in the new covenant? But here's the good news and the bad news. The bad news is the Jewish people, when Jesus came, they said, no, thank you. And God said, well, then I'm going to turn my attention toward the Gentiles. Primarily today, much of the church is made up of a lot of Gentiles. Because the Jews said, we don't want that new covenant. We're going to stick with the old covenant. And God said, I did away with the old covenant. They're like, we're going to keep doing it anyway. To which we had a problem for the Jews. And God said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow the Gentiles to partake a part of this new covenant. Just like in the Old Testament. Remember Rahab? The harlot? The Gentile? Oh, God let her get saved. But she wasn't by blood a Jew. But spiritually she was. Because she embraced the coming Messiah. And so did every other Gentile that's ever been saved in the Old Testament. There were a lot of them. And so too, Jews and Gentiles become part of one body in Christ. Here in the New Testament age. The New Covenant age. Some of the details God's going to reserve for Israel during the tribulation of the Millennial Kingdom. We're going to have our own blessings in the Millennial Kingdom too. But he says this, verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days when I took them... Again, he's quoting Jeremiah. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and regarded, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write it in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which is decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So he's telling these 
Hebrew believers who are struggling under persecution and they're wondering, should I continue in this new thing called the church? I'm, I've got a lot of pressure from my family, from, from friends, from my employment, and maybe I should just go back to the old covenant. I still believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go back to the old covenant because it's just a little bit easier. He said, I don't know. God gave us this new covenant, and he wants you to flourish in this. And by the way, he says, the old one is ready to vanish away. And in AD 70, what happened? Titus came down and destroyed the temple. And since then, they've never really been the same. It was ready to vanish away, and God said, you guys are going to just keep going to this temple. I'm just going to destroy it even though he created it. Why? Because he says, you're missing the boat. For the Old Testament Christian, they were missing the boat. Many of them were saying, well, I think I need to do these good works to be saved. And so too some people today. They say, I believe in Christmas and I believe in Easter. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But I also think you've got to be do, do good works or you're not going to heaven. And they've added something. And by adding something, we negate Jesus Christ. And so he's reminding this new covenant, it's a blessing. Well, what's, what's part of it? Let me just give you a couple things. I know we're late. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I'll give you a couple of verses. Romans 8. The whole chapter is phenomenal. But look at this, verse 1. Therefore, or there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not into the flesh... But if the Spirit, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and then it was weak, through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what's he telling me as a, as a Christian living in the year 2023? What's he telling me that I'm supposed to understand about this new covenant? Well, I look back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died for me. He rose the third day. And he provided me salvation if I place my faith in him alone. Apart from works, he did it all. And I trust in that. And then when I do that, he puts the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of me. And then I don't have to follow man-made rules. Right? I, don't have to, I don't have to do what other people tell me to do to be spiritual. I do have to follow this book. He's given me this book. And as I walk in fellowship with God in obedience to him, my spirituality comes from him for obedience to him. Not obedience to rules, commands in scripture, not, well, I'll do that. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. I know the Bible says I should go to church every Sunday, and I'll go to church every Sunday, but I don't want to do it. But I did it. Here it is, January 15th, I think. We're here, 16th, 15th, whatever it is. 18th? 18? Check it off. Nobody knows what day it is. 15. On the 15th, I went to church January 15, 2023. Check it off. I'm good. I didn't want to be there. I didn't like the songs. 
Certainly didn't like the preacher, but I went. I'm good today. And God says, no, you're not. Because your heart wasn't right. You're like, but I followed the law. And God says, I put the law in your heart. I want you to serve me out of love in everything I do. An opportunity to minister to somebody this week, and maybe God puts it on your heart, you should call so-and-so, you should send a note to so-and-so, you should go visit so-and-so, and we're like, no. This is, I want you to do it out of a great heart. And sometimes we say, well, I did it, put the stamp on it and everything. They didn't want to. This is, well, you don't get a reward for that. Because I want you to serve me from the heart. And do you see how sometimes it's easier to serve according to law than it is out of the heart? Because if I know it's just the law, I'll do it. My heart's not in it, but I'll do it because it's the right thing to do. And sometimes as Christians, we just live that way. I do the right thing because I don't want God to judge me. There, I did it for you, Lord. I hope you're happy. And God says, it's not what I want at all. It's what the Old Testament saints were doing. That's why it was flawed. That's why they messed up. That's why they didn't have what they could have had. Because it was all for them a religion. God says, I want a relationship with you. And here's the great thing. God reminds us that we are part of the spiritual seed of Abraham. Not physically. I'm not a Jew physically. But I'm a Jew spiritually. Because I've embraced the same Messiah that Abraham was promised. Galatians 3, we don't have time to go there, but you can look at Galatians chapter 3. John 14, verse 26, God reminds us that another blessing is the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to remind you of things. When you're in a difficult spot, you're not sure what to do, God will help you remember the verses that you have memorized or verses that you have learned over the years or studied. Here's the problem. If I'm not learning or memorizing or studying, he doesn't have much to work with. He can't remind you of things that you haven't studied. Just like when you go to a test and you're like, and I did this. Like, what was the test supposed to be about? And they might give me a few ideas. And if I didn't study, I couldn't blame anybody else if I didn't get the right answer, right? Because I, I can't know what I didn't learn. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to use, my walk with Him. And I get to grow closer to Him through this book, through prayer. But if I'm not in this book, he can't do a whole lot with me. I need to be in this book to know what the Holy Spirit wants to teach me. One more, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, God says this, I want you to work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. Not work for it, but work it out. It, God put it in you. I want you to work it out of you. I want the world to see what Jesus Christ looks like in human form. And he's not coming back until the end. So he wants to see what, the world needs to see what Jesus Christ looks like through you. Every day, 24-7. You're like, well, I struggle to always look like Jesus. I know, that's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be in this book. That's why you need to be in prayer. That's why you need to be around other Christians because we need to understand how to do this and it's the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. All I have is Christ as we say. And it's all you need is Jesus Christ living in us and through us. 
And again, we talked about the, the, the Lord's Supper. And when Jesus reminded us, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to cut this new covenant. And it's all going to be about what I want to do inside of you. What a blessing. It would have been neat to live under Moses, right? It would have been neat to live, you know, with Jeremiah or Isaiah or some of the other prophets. But there is no greater time in the history of mankind to be a child of God than today. What a blessing we have. And yet sometimes we're just like the Old Testament saint. Like, I know what I should do, but yeah, I don't really want to do that. I'm not that interested in being overly spiritual. I'm good. Now I'm going to heaven when I die. I think that's good enough. Philippians 1. Last one, Philippians 1, verse number 6. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you, and that happened the day you got saved. He began a good work in you. He will perform it. He's going to continue to work in you. He's going to continue to change you into his image until the day of Jesus Christ. So what does God want you to do? What does he want you to do as we live under the new covenant? Well, he wants you to, number one, he wants you to allow Jesus Christ to rule in your heart, to be your Lord, to be your master. Let him call the shots in your life. Number two, he wants to guide your steps day by day by day in the decisions you make and where you live and what you do and how you do your life and all that goes on. Every detail of your life, it should be filtered through the, the, the view of, is this going to please God or not? So we let him rule in our life. We let him guide our steps. Number three, he wants to receive our worship. Which means church should be a huge part of our life. But we should worship God not just on Sundays. We should worship him every single day. Remember what he says in Psalm 100, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I hope you pray every day, a lot through the day, and every time you come, we should come with thanksgiving and praise to who he is and what he's done. Worship him every day. And then tell others about him. It's part of the new covenant. What a blessing to be in this family of God. But may we understand that those who aren't in the family of God, they will die and spend eternity in hell. May God give us a burden to share this blessing and this new covenant with as many people as possible.